0: Sister Joan Chittister, again, my shiro, has said that religion is a finger pointing at the moon. It gives us a structure to hang our spirituality on, but it's not our spirituality.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: use what we need from that being cafeteria catalyst. We use what's there to help develop us. Because I'm thinking when we get to those pearly gates, God's not going to say, man, you really did good not eating meat on Fridays. And that St. Patrick's Day, you fasted. Man, am I ever proud of you for that? No, that's not going to happen. That's, I, don't, I don't believe that will happen. That's the institution. Separate it. Because our faith is a 2,000-year-old faith full of saints and sinners, good things and bad things, but it's our faith.
1: Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. So welcome back to the podcast, Seekers. Joining me today is Mary Keldermans. She is a wife, a mom, and in her words, an extremely indulgent grandparent. She's also the Bishop of the Great Waters region of Roman Catholic women priests. Yes, you heard me right. I actually got to meet her for the first time when she was ordained as a bishop in Springfield in the fall of 2021. Because Mary was ordained as a Roman Catholic priest in 2014 after years of volunteering in the church. But like many of us, she began to become disillusioned and felt called to form a community where she and others like her could pray to God in a way that was nourishing and life-giving a community where no one felt marginalized for who he or she was, a community that could be an oasis for her and for people like her who knew there was something more than what the institutional church provided. And so she worked with others in the Springfield community to begin the Holy Family inclusive Catholic community. Mary has been such a joy to get to know and a personal inspiration for me. And I couldn't wait to bring her onto the podcast and talk with her here and let you get to know her a little bit better. So welcome to the podcast, Mary. Thank you, Kelly.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for asking.
1: This is really exciting. Well, good. Uh, This is my
0: first podcast. Do I get a prize or anything?
1: Yeah, you get some sort of trophy that I have to manufacture and send to you. Okay. Good (laughs) enough. Good enough. Or a gold star at the very least. (laughs) So I really like to begin our conversations with kind of a an insight into your faith and spirituality growing up. So if you could kind of tell that story a little bit and also how it has evolved over the years. Sure. Sure. I remember as a very little
0: girl probably about 4 years old when it came time for bedtime prayers my dad would have us kneel next to one of our beds, and he had a statue of St. Anne. And I don't know the meaning of that or anything, but the prayer leader, he would, he would hand the statue of St. Anne to one of us kids, and that would be the prayer leader. And that was, oh my golly, that was <laughs> the best thing. And I remember we, we would pray like that for years and years and years. I went to a Catholic grade school and so was immersed in Catholicism with the sisters, with the priests, with, with liturgies. And religion to me, or, or faith, I guess, probably, because as a child, I'm sure I didn't separate the two. Mm. There was always something that was there. I didn't have to think about it. It was like I was breathing. It was just something that was there. So much, so much, in fact, I went to a day camp. Or no, no, an overnight camp in the summertime. It was a Catholic overnight camp. And I was so homesick. Oh, my Mm -hmm. goodness. I was so homesick. But they had mass every single day, early in the morning, early, 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 before really the campers got up. It must have been for the staff or something. Anyway, I got up and I went to mass every single day to pray for God, to make the time go faster so I could get home. (laughs) Right. Now, when I look back and I think of the faith of that little girl going to God, in that kind of situation. I mean, I think it's kind of eye-opening. When I went through religious classes in school and through high school, I went to a Catholic high school, religion classes to me always seemed like a gimme class, Mm -hmm. that it didn't have to study, that it was why in the world are we spending time learning this? Doesn't everyone know this already? Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I didn't know that that's not how everyone felt about it. I didn't know that. So faith, religion, Catholicism has always been part of who I am. So for what has evolved for me is my image of God, is my image of faith, is how I express that faith now. So that I think is what has evolved for me, evolved for
1: Mm. me. So is there kind of an experience or a story that comes to mind that has been critical for you about shaping your current beliefs?
0: Yes, yes. This has been 30, 30 years ago now. Our son, when he was three years old, was diagnosed with insulin-dependent diabetes. And I remember telling God, you know, I've done everything I'm I'm supposed to do. This is our sixth child. We've raised them in the faith. We've sent him to Catholic school. I've done everything I thought you needed me to do and look, look at what you did. Well, I had to work very hard on that to forgive God. And I found out that I could be angry with God. Phil, our son was diagnosed in May. And during the summer, I said, you know what, God, I'm not praying to you all summer, because I'm really that mad at you. I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll tend flowers, I'll do whatever. But I'm really, I'm really mad. And that was the first time I think God and I really got on that level, you know, where I could say, <laughs> man, this really stinks. How in the world could you do this to me? And then as I grew, as as I got older, as and Phil has done wonderfully, Phil has done wonderfully, I began to see that it wasn't God that gave Phil diabetes. I grew up and found out that God was suffering right along with me. In my heart, I knew that God was sad right along with me. So that kind of started my evolution, that yeah. God doesn't give bad things. God is there to help you through things when things happen, because things happen. And so I think that was the huge, the huge watershed moment for me. That's when I started to grow to get me to where I am now. My prayer was very authentic. <laughs> God knew where I stood. But then I found out to where God stood. So that's what came out of all of that.
1: Mhm. Mm. So what led you down the pathway to wanting to consider ordination? <laughs> That's what a lot of
0: people ask me. What in the world were you thinking? Is usually how they phrase it. When Phil was diagnosed, this is this is weird. Our parish priest called me and asked me if I would be on the RCIA team, which is the ritual for the way people come into the church, mm-hmm. uh, right of Christian initiation of adults. And I said, I don't know what that is, but sure. And so as I started teaching about faith, as I started meeting people of different faiths who wanted to join our faith, when I saw the stars in their eyes and their willingness to learn, it really inspired me. And there were a lot of rituals, a lot of liturgies involved with the people to get them into the church. And I was got really involved with liturgy, with preparing liturgies, with preparing prayers, with preparing the people, with rehearsing with the people. And it started to kind of turn for me when I would prepare the whole ritual and put it in a binder and hand it to the priest and say, here you go, do it. And mm-hmm. I had to step back. Now, mm-hmm. the priest that I was doing this for was a lovely man. love, And I, I love him to this day. So it's not that it was his fault. It was just the way the institution was set up. So that kind of just kind of stuck in my throat. And as time went on and I was handing more and more of my work over for someone else to pray, it was just very unsettling. And I knew I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, teaching the people. But boy, you know, I sure wanted to get in there and pray the prayers with them. You know, I journeyed with them. I listened to to their stories and when it came time to say the words of blessing, I couldn't because I was a woman. I could do everything else, but I couldn't pour water over them at their baptism because of my gender. And so that just—it just really was—it was—it was hard. It was hard to accept that. And somewhere along the line, and I don't know where, I clicked when I was surfing the net. <laughs> I clicked onto Priest dot org, and I thought, "Whoa, look at this, huh?" I'll be darned. Look at this. Hmm, What's this all about? And so I kind of had that in the back of my head. I didn't do much about it because let alone me in Springfield, Illinois, are you kidding me? These are (laughs) other women. This happens to other people. And so fast forward a little bit, the the book group, the prayer group I had belonged to invited Sister Joan Chidester, who is an an author of, oh my golly, I, I don't even know how many books now. It's it has to be way into the forties books that she's written. She came to Springfield, Illinois at our invitation as a keynote speaker at our convention center, which, Oh my gosh, she's, she was my shero forever. She was her writing helped open my eyes to there being more to God than what the institution has given us. And so sister came and I was able to lead prayer during the conference, had some prayer experiences, and after the whole conference was over, my brother came up to me and he said, Mary, you you should lead prayer more often. And I said, where? Where is there an opportunity for me to lead prayer? And then I said, well, you know, I read about Roman Catholic women priests. And he said, well, why don't you call them? And I said, you know what? I will. And in my head, I'm going, no, I won't. No, I'm not. nope, 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 nope. Not going to do it. And so we parted for the day. And then my brother called me the next week and he said, did you call them yet? And I said, n- n- no, no, I haven't had time. Okay. So then he called me the next week, Mary, have you called Roman Catholic women priests? And I said, no, you know, no, I, I just haven't gotten around to it. So then I thought, man, he's not going to leave me alone. So I emailed, I sent my inquiry off to Roman Catholic women priests, sent an email and no one answered. And I went, <laughs> Phew, dodged a bullet, Phew. So then my brother called and he said, Mary, have you called them? And I said, no, but I emailed them and I didn't get an answer. So that must be what it's supposed to be. And he said, okay. Then the phone rings about 20 minutes later and it's my brother. And he said, Mary, Reverend Elsie McGrath from the Great Waters region of Roman Catholic Women Freeze is gonna call you next Tuesday at nine o'clock. Make sure you answer your phone. And so- that's my gotta love brothers. Yes, that's, that's my chicken way entering yeah. Roman Catholic women priests.
1: <laughs>
0: so thank heaven for my
1: brother. Yes, oh overcoming your resistance and oh my you, yes you wiggle out of it. <laughs> yes. So so tell me more about this. I mean, in the Catholic tradition, I mean, can't only men be priests? You know, it depends on what your definition of priest is.
0: My definition is one who leads prayer. St. Paul has a wonderful analogy in his writings of how the body of Christ is a body. And he likens parts of arms and legs and fingers, and we can't all operate without the whole body. Well, in that context, the priest is the tongue of the body of Christ, and they give voice to prayers. And so what I believe priests are are good prayer leaders, in some instances, they've they've been risen from their community. Their community has voted on them and said, yeah, you know, we, we want you to lead our prayer. And so to me, that's what my priesthood is about. I lead the prayer. I gather prayers from the people and, and voice the prayers during the liturgies. And so that's my definition. So yes, men are priests, but women are priests also. We have that experience also to be leaders of prayer. I don't think we have any special knowledge uh, where we don't have a special in with God. We're all here to do our best to treat each other the way we want to be treated. And so I think that's 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 the whole essence, I think, of women priesthood, to pray, to pray with people and maybe to take some of the mystery out of it, the mystique, because we're just people. We're just people that happened to lead prayer
1: well. Hmm. So I'm going to play a little bit of contrarian and kind of just voice what I know I've heard when I've talked about this movement and people's kind of gut reaction. Mm -hmm. But so, I mean, are you a real priest because the Catholic church hasn't really officially recognized women priests? Right. I,
0: yes. Yes, I am a priest. When we are ordained, we use the exact same rite that the men use. Almost word for word, except we don't say men. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we do say women. And one of the big things that we don't do, we do not promise obedience to a bishop like mm. the men do. We promise obedience to God. No one can tell us what to do except for God. We follow what we feel God's, God's will is to us. The church will even say my priesthood, the sacrament is valid, but illicit. There's there's a distinction that because I'm a woman, <laughs> it's illicit. But in the eyes of God, yeah, I was ordained. I am ordained. I was consecrated a bishop. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, I, and here I'll be the little, I'll be the contrarian. There's been a recent controversy about a priest using i or we, when he baptized. And supposedly he said, we, and now all these people are in limbo. Mm
1: -hmm. Now
0: that's crazy. That's Mm -hmm. absolutely crazy. And I think I'm going to say 99% of the lay people and clergy will say that too. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's crazy that they're saying my ordination is illicit. Mm -hmm. I am a daughter of God. I felt God calling me to this, that I felt this in my God's call. That's a little bit of a misnomer. I felt this in my heart. It was in my heart to do this. And so, you know, do I obey the Catholic church and say, sorry, God, you know, shit, sorry, my church is saying no, or do I say, okay, God, and I'll count on you to smooth away. Mm. And so that's what I did. I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm going with you. And okay. so I've never looked back.
1: Mm. never looked back. So, yep, I'm a priest. So it's interesting that you brought up in the ritual that you went through, that you pledged obedience to God as opposed Mm -hmm. to pledging obedience to a bishop or Mm -hmm. church leader. And as I've been learning about church history, I read this wonderful book. Oh, gosh, I'm blanking on the name of it. It was a woman writer talking about women's roles within the church in general. She comes from a Protestant background, but she was talking about in the early Catholic church before the West Protestants, one of the reasons why the Catholic church chose to only have men priests and unmarried priests was mm-hmm. because of the, you know, were you more obedient to your family connections and to mm-hmm. your you know the power of your family connections and the wealth of your family connections and the the land ownership the yeah. politics of your family connections back in that era or were you more obedient to the church and they didn't at the time they didn't want to have a mixed loyalty mm-hmm so yes. That's yes. part of the reason why that tradition has continued within the Catholic Church and it's not in other Protestant denominations where they can have ordained married priests. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a medieval
0: practice that mm-hmm. needs to be looked at and it doesn't look like that's going to be happening.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that that begs the question too. I mean, if you if you felt this calling You know, there's lots of other denominations that allow women priests within their tradition. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Why not just change denominations? Thank you, Kelly.
0: I've got I have been asked that question many times. And the answer is because I'm Catholic. I'm Catholic. I grew up with May Crownings. And once I even got to... Cry. I was the I Wait, May Queen. You were the May Queen. See? I was the May Queen. See? Yes, <laughs> And we wore chapel veils in school. And the sisters, uh, we wrote JMJ for Jesus, Mary, and Joseph at the top in of the our corner papers. of your papers. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And I've got this rich Catholic history, this rich Catholic foundation. And now we look at it, you know, the chapel veils. But that's the foundation. I loved that during that time. And so I'm... I'm Catholic. I couldn't be another denomination because I don't have that history. I don't have the history of kneeling with the St. Anne statue and of going to mass, this scared little girl going to mass and praying that God makes the time go faster. That's all part of my history. And so I'm Catholic. I had to stay in Catholicism and that's not a slam on any other faith tradition. It's just that that it's not me. It's mm-hmm. it, it wasn't me.
1: Yeah. It's part of your identity. It is. Yeah.
0: It, it's, It it's it's helped develop who I am today. All of those, one of the bells and the smells and the incense and the first communion dresses and the all of that, all of that
1: made me who I am. And I'm so grateful for all of that. Mm. I remembered the name of the book. It's called The Making of Biblical Womenhood. So oh. definitely. Yeah, it's really great. It was just put out in the last two years, I think. Mm. So one of the consequences for you about kind of pursuing this calling and making the decision to become an ordained woman priest was being excommunicated by mm-hmm. church leaders. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, excommunication is merely another word that begins with an E. Uh, <laughs>
0: When, when I was growing up again in, in the Catholic tradition, in Catholic schools, if you heard of someone being excommunicated, it was like they were the walking dead. You felt sorry for them, they were going to hell, do not pass go, do not collect $200, nothing. That, it was the living dead. And so Roman Catholic women priests is, is right up front saying that you will be excommunicated, maybe not formally, but, but what they'll say is you excommunicate yourself because of your actions. Okay. So you have to address that. You have to write a paper about it. They want to make sure you understand. So yes, I understood. I was excommunicated publicly. The Bishop of of our diocese sent me a letter before I was ordained and said, for the salvation of your soul, do not go through with this. I will excommunicate you. Well, you know, I told you I decided to go with God on this. And so a week or so after my ordination, he did send the letter. And to be honest, yes it hurt because this is the church I loved. I grew up, I, I had my, you know, I sent my children there. I worked. Oh my golly. So yes, it hurt, but it was also freedom from the institution because now I could live. Now I could pray. Now I could worship the way that I felt Jesus was calling us to, that I could say to LGBT people, come on in. Hey, come on in. We're, we're good on this. We're good. I could offer open communion. I could pray authentically and say, oh, my gosh, God is so much bigger than what you as an institution have given me. God is so much grander than, than what you have given me. And it also, uh, you need to know that excommunication is a bit of a paper tiger because mm-hmm. the way you get unexcommunicated, you go to confession. So there you go. Excommunication is a tool to keep people in line. And most bishops of the women who have been ordained already, most of the bishops have not said a word to them, not one word in fact, there are some bishops that have lunch with our women priests to talk about oh, wow. to talk about this and you know they they get views and they try to understand where where we women are coming from so there's that those ends the ones where I got excommunicated and and you know the my priest buddies just didn't talk to me anymore. <laughs> not wow. and then the other side where the bishop goes, "Come on in. Come on in. Let's talk about this. Why'd you do this?" And and want to get to know how God is working in someone else's life. I think what some don't realize is this is not something that we dreamt up one day and said, "This is a protest movement. You wouldn't turn your life upside down. You wouldn't go through this to protest. This is something that comes from deep within that says, I I have to do this. This is how I feel God calling me. And so it's not a protest movement. It's a, it's a life changing, life giving uh, movement. So excommunication means nothing. It means Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing because of the joy I get praying and worshiping with, with other people. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a paper Mm -hmm. tiger.
1: Yeah. As Christians, I think that there's a lot of teaching around the raising up people who have become martyrs because Mm -hmm. of the conviction in Mm -hmm. their hearts that people are sure of God's word. And we raise them up as examples. And we even talk about, you know, taking up your cross and following Jesus. And so... I think that this is maybe an indicator that this is a, a worthwhile calling, that it's not mm-hmm. just something that you can waltz right into. It's not just no. something that is easy. It's a rocky road that yes. has to be traveled and navigated with God to be in alignment with that that gift that God is putting in your heart. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said, yes, it it is rocky. I I want to say that, yes, I did spend a lot of time
0: going back and forth. What should I do? There was a lot of discernment that had to go into that. I don't want to make it sound like it was just a, okay, I'm going to do it. And I did it. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of, oh my golly, what's my family going to think? Uh, What's my husband's job going to think? What are my children going to think? Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of that. I didn't want to embarrass them for want of a better word. I wanted them to um, to be able to support me. When I went to my kids, one of my and I said I'm thinking about being a priest. What do you think about that? And one of my daughters said to me, "Well, mom, you've always been a priest." Mm-hmm. And so that that helped me. I didn't I didn't go public with me with my with my desire to be ordained. I entered Roman Catholic priests under a catacomb name, under a, a nom de plume because <laughs> I didn't want people to know at that time, I wasn't in a position for many people to know what I was doing. I had two sons that were getting married. And -hmm. I knew if word got out of my, of my intentions, that that might cause them some problems. And so Mm -hmm. for the two years that I was in formation, I I didn't say anything. So my friends didn't know. I didn't tell my friends, my family, Mm -hmm. my, my birth family didn't know. And so So when it came time, you know, my ordination is coming up. I was interviewed by the newspaper. It was going to be in the newspaper. So I thought, you know what? I probably better start telling people some stuff. Mm -hmm. My friends were just, they were were like, so what else is new?" So accepting. They were just fabulous. My birth family supported me. My mother, though, absolutely hated what I was doing. She Mm -hmm. did not like this at all. Made no bones about it. So... You know, there was there was there was that to contend with the night before the news article came out. I boy, oh, boy, that that was a rough night for me because that's when the town was going to find out what I was doing. All of my colleagues were going to find out what I was doing because they didn't know. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so I spent that night waiting for the newspaper to come out. Mm
1: -hmm. And I kept
0: thinking, oh, God, Mary, why did you do this? Why didn't you walk away when you had the chance? Because, oh, my gosh, there's no going back now. And I paced the floor and paced the floor and doubted myself and da, da da da. And it was it was a tough night. I didn't get to sleep that night. And I was checking the computer, I think it was three in the morning, thinking, oh my gosh, is this has this landed yet? And the article had, and I saw it on Facebook, and I saw a nephew of mine wrote, Way to go, Aunt Mary. I'm so proud of you. Aww. And so I said, Thank you, God, thank you, God, for this answer. And I was able to go to bed, just knowing, just taking that as it's going to be okay. And I did, I have since told my nephew that I read that. And I said, you have to know how that affected me because I was, I was pacing and pacing. And you have to know that that brought peace to my heart. So it's not, it's not something that you just go, yay, I'm going to be a priest one day. There's a, and my, my story isn't, isn't out of the ordinary. You talk to the other women, and oh my golly, it's
1: it's like this with everyone. Mm-hmm. So did you find that you, you know, besides being excommunicated by the bishop publicly, um, did you find that there was other kind of shifts in relationships or access or community, or was there losses that you experienced? And also conversely, was there New relationships, or doors that were opened, or things that you gained from the experience—I'd have to say
0: that gaining far outweighed anything that I lost. There were some people who could not agree with what I did, and so they just, just kind of faded away. You know, like a mutual fading away. I understood, and I understand that people, you know, can't can't accept this. Absolutely, I I understand and. I mean, I still love my friends. I'm sure they still love me, but this is something big. What I have gained is community, holy family, inclusive Catholic community. We started with just a handful of people, my husband and I and Reverend Susan Milkey, who wasn't a reverend at the time. She and her husband, Harry would come to our masses, which were held in Jacksonville, the United Church of Christ graciously, allowed us to use their church. Pastor Lynn Bowman was so gracious and saying, yeah, you can, you can use our church. And so on Saturday nights, there would be my husband and I, and Susan and Harry Milky, and our piano player, John, and our, our cantor Ben, and there'd be six of us. <laughs> and we'd have mass. And that was wow. our community. We knew we would grow. And we did. And we finally got to the point where we moved to, back to Springfield. Jacksonville is a little town about 30 miles away. Yeah. And so we wanted to get back in Springfield because that was our home base. But, but Jacksonville gave us a really good kickoff, a really good mm. start to our community. And so now people hear about us. We have advertised in the paper. Of course, COVID has slowed things down a little bit. But the people who come to us have been, they were where I was, disillusioned, knew there was something more, knew they loved their Catholic faith, didn't want to leave the Catholic faith, but doggone it, there had to be something more. So people come. And and the joy that is in in our worship space, the joy of being able to pray, of being able to look at scripture and say, how does how does this affect me? This story was two thousand years ago. Is is it supposed to remain two thousand years ago, or is this scripture alive for us? Is it a living story? And so to grapple with that, to look at different scripture stories, it's. Oh, it's just, it's just wonderful to listen to someone else's journey, how they have come to know God. It's just life giving. It's, it's absolutely just wonderful. So that's what I have gained. I've not lost. I've gained so, so much richness and community. One of the things I like to do before mass starts is just listen, listen to the people talking and laughing and just, just hearing that and, and knowing this is the community. This is a community who gets together because they want to, not because they're obligated to, but they, they come and when they leave, they think, oh, I can't wait to come back next Saturday. And that, I think, is is a tribute to Jesus and to the authentic words of Jesus, to live, to love God, and to let that love show, living the way the church that Jesus imagined for us. That's what I've gained.
1: Hmm. So I know there's so many people who are experiencing a sense of deconstruction of their faith, Mm -hmm. whether it's people who are in the Catholic faith or other Christian denominations. Mm -hmm. I think we're in a movement where people are kind of wanting more from the faith that they've been handed and -hmm. discovering what else is there. And there's lots of different ways that people can go within that deconstruction process. But I know as a Catholic, you know, there's such strong tradition, there's such Mm -hmm. strong doctrine, there's such strong practices that are totally at one level. And then when you start delving deeper into maybe the messages or what you were saying, kind of taking scripture and interpreting it for today, you really start looking through a different lens. Mm -hmm. And I think people sometimes are criticized for that or made to feel like, oh, whoa, you're a cafeteria Catholic, or you're picking Mm -hmm. and choosing Mm -hmm. what you want to follow, or you, you know, you're not a real Catholic. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm sure people get that in other denominations as well. But, you know, can you speak to that?
0: Oh, I sure can. I'm so glad you said cafeteria Catholic, because I wear that label proudly. When I go to a cafeteria, I don't stand by the steamed broccoli and think, oh, my gosh, I eat the steamed broccoli. I go for the chocolate fountain at the end. <laughs> my faith is so full of good things. My faith is so full of good things. Yes, I hang out with my faith. There, I think what I would, well, I know what I would tell people It's what I tell people at Holy Family, separate the institution from the faith because they're two separate things. The institution is man-made. The rules are man-made and some of them are very good. And, you know, we do need structure. We do need rules. But when those rules go over into our lives, into our sexuality, into those kinds of things, then, then that's wrong. That is wrong. Our faith, our faith is what is who God is to us. And that's, that's the big thing. Who has God been to you in your life? Because And I tell this to our people, anything you read about God, any opinion about God is only an opinion. It is someone's opinion. What is your opinion? How has God worked in your life? And that is who God is. And that's the God you get to know. And that's the God whose hand you hold. And so that is your faith. How does that fit in with your life? You know, that's the important thing is get to know God. How do you do that? Do you take a walk and you think God is in everything? God is in creation? Yeah. So it's a bigger, broader thing than the institution that says don't eat meat on Fridays during Lent and you have to go to mass every Sunday or it's a mortal sin or you have to worry about going to hell, which, hello, there's no, there, there's no hell. A loving God would not
1: create a hell. (laughs) Wait, say that again one more time? (laughs) The loving
0: God would not create a hell. And do you know how I know? I know this for a fact because, because I've had children and that kind of puts me on a little bit of a level with God who made us. And when my children do wrong and they come to me and they say, mom, I'm really sorry. I say, ah, great. Get out of here. You're fine. There's nothing my kid could do that. I would send them away from me from forever in a place where I would never see them again. There's no way I would do that. There's no way God who loves infinitely more than that. No way a God would do that. No way. God would say, come back. I'll give you 50 chances. I'll do whatever I need to do to get you back with me. So that's how I know there's no hell. <laughs> so we're good there. Oh, now I forgot where I was going with that. See that hell thing. Boy, and that's another power. puts <laughs> this
1: theme. off track all the time. <laughs> I know. I know. It's the
0: devil. Uh, and I'm teasing about that too. But God is so much bigger than the, the institution. Sister Joan Chittister, again, my Shiro, has said that religion is a finger pointing at the moon. It gives us a structure to hang our spirituality on, but it's not our spirituality.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: use what we need from that. being cafeteria Catholic, we use what's there to help develop us because I'm thinking when we get to those pearly gates, God's not going to say, man, you really did good not eating meat on Fridays. And that St. Patrick's Day, you fasted, man, am I ever proud of you for that? No, that's not going to happen. That's, <laughs> I don't I don't believe that will happen. That's the institution separated because our mm-hmm. faith is a 2000 year old faith full of saints and sinners, good things and bad things, but it's our faith.
1: Hmm. So talk a little bit more about, you know, how do you bring these kinds of messages into your homilies and prayers when you're talking with the congregation? Mm-hmm. How are you making this? How are you making God relevant? How are you making scripture relevant? What I find
0: fascinating about scripture and for many years, it was I got to tell you, it was a story in a book and I'd go to church, and I'd listen, and I would daydream, and it was 2,000 years ago. When I was a little girl, I thought, wow, I wish I lived back when Jesus lived, because man, that's when he walked on water, and that's when all this cool stuff happened, and boy, it doesn't happen anymore now. (laughs) I don't believe that anymore. So what I do is I look at scripture and think, what is this saying to me? And what I have come to realize is the folks that lived 2,000 years ago we're the same people. We are the same people. Mary and Joseph had to raise Jesus. Mary had to help him pull his baby teeth. She had to potty train him. She had to take him for walks. She and Joseph took him for walks. Mary and Joseph did the same thing that my husband and I did for our children. They're the same people so we can use their experiences. They're not on this high pedestal where we can only look up. Uh -uh. We could be friends with them. We could be going, we could be all taking a walk together. Looking at some of the other scripture stories, the fishermen. Well, I've seen fishermen fish and seen the good times they have, the stories they tell. They're just, they're just people. And so drawing on that, drawing on, they were just folks back then who didn't have any more knowledge about anything than we do now. I mean, other than biology and stuff, but so it's easier to, to relate to them the story of the loaves and fishes, all these people are around listening to Jesus and it's time to eat. And the apostles are going, Hey man, what are we going to do? There's all these people here and they're going to be hungry. Jesus somehow talks to these people who are used to traveling, who pack food for themselves when they travel. So they don't run out of food before they get to where they're going. He somehow talked these people into sharing the food that they brought for themselves with maybe people who didn't who came up short who didn't pack enough food he talked to these people to say hey, let's let's all share our food that to me is the miracle that to me is the miracle to think that jesus went poof and all of a sudden there's more fish and bread that doesn't make jesus jesus that doesn't make jesus like me that's not human that's an abracadabra thing but to deconstruct it a little bit and say boy you know what this makes more sense to me that's a pretty cool thing That's a pretty cool thing. And so other pieces of scripture like that, too. We can't take everything literally. Did Jesus walk on water? I don't know. Sometimes I think my kids do. I think my kids walk on water when they do really good things. Is that what the writer meant to say? Is that what the writer, whatever Jesus did, it was so darn cool. It was like walking on water. Does Jesus need to walk on water for me to believe in Jesus? Heck no. No. Does Mary need to be a virgin for me to believe in Jesus? Does it make Jesus any less Jesus if Mary and Joseph had marital relations? Nope, it does not. So deconstructing that, making it more real, making it seem like I could just be friends with those folks. I always talk about, that's what I, I talk about with scripture. I find if I have to bend into a pretzel to try to make sense out of a gospel story, then I realize, you know, no, that's making God too hard. How do I think this? And what are our idioms today? What are our, some of our expressions that we use that a hundred years from now, people are going to say, you really wanted to kill him? You know, because mm-hmm. when we're mad, we'll say, well, I could have killed him. Well, No did that happen back 2000 years ago? I'm thinking, yeah. So Mm -hmm. let's be real about it. Let's say they were folks, they're our ancestors
1: and let's tie our stories to theirs. Mm -hmm. Mm. I really appreciate that making God and Jesus more relatable, more Mm -hmm. human, more within our scope, within our realm. Absolutely. Um, Because I think the message that Jesus is the things that Jesus are asking us to do: the loving ourselves, loving our neighbor, loving the other, loving our mm-hmm. enemy. Those are challenging things for us as humans to do. And so, mm-hmm. if we can see Jesus as another human, an enlightened human, somebody who knew knew how to do those things well, we can kind of put ourselves in that position as well and really learn from it, as opposed mm-hmm. to just idolizing it, like saying it, saying we believe in it, as opposed to actually walking that path.
0: Absolutely. Oh, Kelly, absolutely. Yep. Hit the nail on the head. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Mm. God is not hard. Mm -hmm. Jesus is not hard. I've got a story too, that helped me with my experience with Jesus. I was on a retreat once and our retreat leader said, what would you do if Jesus knocked at your front door? What would you do my first reaction. And I said, I would wonder if my house was clean. And she laughed and I said, no, really, (laughs) really. I don't know if I would let him in because I don't know if my house is clean enough. And she said, I would throw my arms around him and hug him. And I thought, do you know him that well? Wouldn't that be kind of forward? (laughs) And as I thought then later in the afternoon, I thought, no, she's the one that knows Jesus. I was worried about my house being dirty and she knew that Jesus would be tickled to see her. And so again, that helped. That was another step on my journey that said, Mayor, Jesus doesn't care about that. He's coming to see you. So mm. that's something else that just brings keeps Jesus, I think, where Jesus wants to be. He ate with marginalized people as well as as, as others. And I
1: think that's I think that's
0: who Jesus is.
1: Mm. And didn't make a big deal out of eating with marginalized people. Like it no. wasn't like, look at me, look at what I'm doing. It was just like, let's hang out and have some dinner together. Cause we're yep. hungry. Absolutely, and Yes. <laughs> and you're pretty cool to hang out with. Yep.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Kelly. See, see, isn't it kind of fun to think of that? Of Jesus showing up at a door and saying, Hey, you got an extra piece of fish, you know, or I don't know, seeing him on the road and just saying, Hey, how you doing? And, just seeing him mm-hmm. being a regular person just
1: because mm-hmm. I think that's how we come to know God by other people. Mm-hmm. Mm. So what are some of the things that are resonating with you about you know the church right now the institutional church and what are some of the things that in your opinion need to be addressed to reform? I have to say that I'm I'm really impressed with Pope Francis. I
0: know people kind of fault him for not moving fast, for not waving a wand, but I think what he's doing is shaking the ground and preparing us for the next guy to do that. I think Pope Francis is a very holy man. I think he is who the Church needs now. I I just I just can't say enough good things about him. I love this synod that he's opening, that giving lay people a chance to say what they see about the church, what they love about the church, what they don't love about the church. That's a pretty big thing. Lay people have not been asked to do that ever, really. There was Vatican II, which was very good, and it brought in a wave of much-needed reform. But for Pope Francis to say, oh, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you have to say. I think that's phenomenal. I think it's Wonderful. Some other things that I think that need to be addressed is open communion. Uh, When non-Catholics come to our Catholic services and we say, if you're a practicing Catholic, you can come, but everybody else stay in your pew. That's wrong. That's wrong. And to use Eucharist as a weapon against people whose beliefs don't line up exactly with the church. Again, that's wrong. Jesus said at the last supper, he said, take this and eat. That's it. There were no other caveats. It didn't say if your paperwork's in order. It didn't say if you believe, if you don't follow the rules. He said, take and eat. And that meant everyone who wants to take and eat. So I think I think they need to address open communion. Obviously, LGBT issues, they need to, oh my gosh, change Ugh, that awful statement that came out quite a few years ago about gay people being I don't even want to say, just they were not looked kindly on. That needs to change. Mm -hmm. There are lots of married men out there who were in the seminary who wanted to be a priest, but also wanted to be married. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Look at this celibacy thing. For heaven's sakes, you can't force someone to go against a biological nature if Mm -hmm. it doesn't come from within them. To impose something like that, an artificial thing like that, just will never work, will never Mm -hmm. work. Be human. You know, these are biological issues. This isn't isn't something someone dreamt up. So I think we need to look at married men in the priesthood. Also, of course, women in the priesthood and in more decision-making capabilities. And to get more lay people at the Vatican table to talk about lay experiences to power. Say, this is how it is. You may put out this whole statement, but Here's how it is on the ground. Here's what happens. Here's here it is in reality. This is, you know, you're you're giving us saint ideal. You're giving us ideal. Here's what happens. And so that's what I think, that's what I would like to see in the larger church. Maybe with Francis, it's creeping along. It may. In my lifetime, I don't think so. There's a lot of and I don't want to use conservative because I, I really hate labels, but there's people who do not want the church to move forward, who mm-hmm. find comfort in all of the old stuff, of, find comfort in Latin and that. Mm-hmm. So I think it, we need, we're going to be a couple more generations that are, we're going to need to get some of these changes in. But, but I think that's when the church will be fully what Jesus envisioned, when, when all are welcome. And it's not just a song and it's not just a catchphrase. All are welcome.
1: Mhm. Yeah. And as I as I learn about how other denominations, you know, operate and people within the larger Christian family I believe a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters have the same challenges and obstacles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. within their denominations. It's mm-hmm. just some of it is a governance structure of the institution right. and how it can be addressed. Some of it is kind of what the pillars and foundations, so, you know, are you looking more at scripture? Are you looking more at tradition? Are you looking more mm-hmm. at intellect? Are you looking more at, and, and different kind of Christians approach that in different ways. But I feel like a lot of the same problems or a lot of the same challenges are popping up kind of across the board, no matter what what brand of Christianity you might be part of.
0: I agree. I think that is, um, the earth is moving. The earth is moving somehow. Yeah. It has to come. Any type of change is going to have to come from the ground up. It can't be top down. Hmm. And that's why we Roman Catholic women priests said, you know what? We can't wait for the guys to change because they're not gonna. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to do this. Uh, we're going to do what we feel. And Oh, and This is an important thing to know, too, for some people, that we do have apostolic succession. I should have said that early on. All the men priests, all the bishops, when the hands were laid on them, their ordinations that transferred the apostolic succession, which is important for ordination. There was a male bishop who ordained our first female bishops passing on his uh, apostolic succession and so that's what she passes on to. she passes on hers, and so when we ordain we we are ordained with apostolic succession so so we need to we need to know that that's that's part of the structure that's part of the um belief system that is important to some people. that's part of the power you were talking about that that has to be there so oh,
1: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. so interesting. As things are shifting, both within the Catholic Church, within the Christian, broader Christian community, and it's going to be kind of an extended period of shifting, how can we better listen to and support kind of the growing numbers of people who are examining their beliefs, looking for new ways of doing things, Mm -hmm. moving away from maybe involvement, formal involved institutions, or going through deconstruction? How can we better listen to them and support them and maybe show them there's a different way to do things that boy that's the million dollar
0: question kelly that's the million dollar question what i do what our holy family does is tell people it's okay to question we'll listen to your questions and it doesn't matter what kind of question you have we're going to listen and let's talk about it and we may not come up with an answer but it's okay to question and i'll listen to you and it's got value i think well i know our children our Stephen my children they've got questions and i mean very good questions very good questions that the institutional church says you can't think about them and they don't change they don't change when when like when biology comes we, we know more things because of science and and the church won't change and say ooh boy we didn't know that then but we know that now mm-hmm. that's what our kids really don't like that there seems to be a level of dishonesty. They're they're gonna keep this myth alive rather than saying, eh, boy, we're smarter now. So that's that's yeah. part of the problem too. But we listen to the kids and I let them speak when I hear other people. I listen to them. I understand what they're saying. I have felt that way too. But again, what more I think I'm different is that I've separated institution from the faith. The institution, again, not all of it is bad. Um, We have some fabulous, wonderful priests, and it's such a shame that this, the scandal just tarred everything. It's such a, just such a horrible shame, but separate the institution from the faith and live the faith. Then I think that's, what's going to draw people when they see our community living with joy and with Mm. happiness, maybe they can say, Hmm, I wonder, wonder if I could do that too. So I think part of it is to see what it looks like to live authentically, to live your truth where everyone is welcome and, and just to maybe model that. And again, to listen, no question is off the table. Just listen. I think that's the key.
1: Mm -hmm. So what sustains you, you know, what some practices or tools or relationships that sustain you when you're going through some, some of these challenges?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, Sometimes I tend to brood on things. I am really good at thinking about things and thinking them through until I wear a hole in my brain. I'm really good at that. So uh, my husband and I babysit grandkids four days a week. And so when I start taking myself so seriously and thinking my problem is just the worst thing in the world, I play with them. And I, it kind of writes my ship. (laughs) It takes my mind off whatever I think is the problem du jour and, brings me back to reality brings me back to oh come on mary this is what life is about uh, and that that seems to right my ship a little bit i do cross stitch kind of cross stitch i love doing that and i can boy i love picking that up and creating things i i love doing that gardening in the springtime i love doing that uh, listening to the birds and so physical i seem to have to do physical things to
1: stay motivated Mm-hmm. because i can stay in my head too long mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. movement and embodiment mm-hmm. helps us get out of our head really Absol- well. <laughs> see and that's that's just it cuz
0: i'm telling you what i'm a good worrier and if i don't have anything to worry about i'll call my friends and say hey i got nothing to worry about you got something <laughs> for me uh, let me help <laughs> you worry cuz
1: i'm really good at this yeah oh I yeah love that. <laughs> So uh, I want to end our interview with some rapid-fire questions that I kind of ask all guests, and it's just a different way to get a little bit of a sense of a taste of a little bit more of your personality and get into that head a little bit. But before we get into that, if people are interested in learning more about your group in Springfield, your Mm -hmm. community... Mm -hmm. Or about the Women Priest movement, how can they reach out to you or learn more? The best way for Roman Catholic Women Priests
0: is to go to that website. And that Roman Catholic Women Priests, one word, all lowercase is the name. Roman Catholic Women Priests.org. That will take you to the website and explain a lot of the ins and outs, little details and things like that. If they want to our community has a website also. We've just we just finished updating it. And the name of that is inclusiveholyfamily.org. And there is a button on there where you can contact. You can contact me. It'll say contact us, but it comes to me. And okay. I'll be happy to answer any questions. And anyone is invited to our masses. We we have mass every uh, Saturday evening at 4:30. And for those who live Farther away, we do Zoom. We have a hybrid liturgy, and we can send a Zoom link out for that. We've got people who come, let's see, in Michigan, Minnesota, Arkansas, Indiana, and Florida. So we have people join us from those places every week. That's Um, awesome. So we can do that. Wherever anyone is, we can can hook you in like that, too. We celebrate sacraments, baptisms. I got to baptize my own grandkids, which was really cool, really, really cool. uh I celebrated a wedding with someone. Uh, we unfortunately have done funerals. I don't want to say unfortunately, but sadly I've had to do funerals. So we do every, you know, we're, we're, we're community. We take care of people. So anyone who wants to attend mass with us will find that it looks just like mass. We consecrate bread and wine. We also, when, when we have mass, we believe it takes the community not just the priest to bless the, the bread and the wine. So we all say the words of consecration together. We bless the food for each other. So um, we do do that. We, we still give wine. We do not drink from the same cup anymore because of all of this COVID. I've taken a lesson from our Protestant brothers and sisters and I bought little communion cups mm-hmm. that we use and we fill those before mass and we, we bless the the wine, we consecrate the wine. And then people take their cup and and drink from it. And we put a bowl of bleach water that they'll put their cup into there. We wash them. We don't throw them away. We try to be as green as we can with the environment. So we still offer that. We just found a different way, thanks to our Protestant brothers and sisters to offer communion, still the bread and wine. So welcome anyone and everyone to our church. And Yeah. You, you won't be a stranger. And even if you've forgotten, if you don't know when to stand, when to sit, no big deal.
1: No Mm -hmm. big deal. We've
0: got people there to help. Just come on home. Mm -hmm. Come on home. Mm
1: -hmm. Are you the only group in East central Illinois, the only inclusive Catholic community Mm -hmm. or the other? That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Okay. Well, we'll definitely put the link to both of these in the show notes so that um, yes. people want to come back and revisit. Yes. It's it's easy to get to. And we
0: also, I, I need to say too, we also have another priest at Holy Family. She came, it's uh, Catherine Elsner, Reverend Catherine Elsner. She was a member of Holy Family and she felt a stirring in her heart. And so now she's, in, uh, she was, I got to ordain her. She was the first person I got to ordain after I was ordained. Oh, so that's wow. pretty cool. So, yeah, she's she's also a priest there with me, with all of us, with all of us. And so that, yeah. See, it's just the spirit moving, I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Kelly, <laughs> your turn. I'm through. <laughs> no, that's fine. what do people call you? Like, do they call you father? Do they call you reverend? Do they call you nothing? <laughs> what do people call you? Well,
0: my children call me father, mother, but <laughs> that's just them. Our official title is reverend, but we really don't use titles. My official title is bishop. We don't use those. We use first names because we're just all in this together. But
1: technically and on official stuff, we're reverends. Mm, that's that's interesting. There's a, a woman priest from, I think she's on the East Coast, or the West Coast, I'm sorry. And she does a whole lot of Online like YouTube sermons oh, mm-hmm. and she goes by father Anne and I <laughs> I, I gotta take a lot of that <laughs> um, yeah. and she intentionally goes by Father Ann. I mean she talks about like this is why I'm doing this, which I hmm. think is just I'm definitely a provocateur, so I appreciate some of that <laughs> and sometimes we have to do that too. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I kind of liken us to the suffragettes. Mm-hmm. Women vote now. No one would think of not voting, but a hundred years ago, oh my goodness, no, women couldn't vote. So I kind of think we're like that too, because mm-hmm. fifty years from now, this is not a sustainable model without women in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. we are the other half of the church. You need we need both. We need men and women. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: we're kind of the suffragettes of the Catholic Church. So
1: I mm, really I love that. So are you ready to begin the rapid fire questions? Oh yes. <laughs> Yes, go. <laughs> They're not hard. So, what's something that people get wrong about you? That I'm also an introvert. Mm. So you come off as being an extrovert, but yep. but you're yep. also an introvert. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where do you see the divine as most alive for you in this season? Oh golly, in nature. In nature, the trees, when the trees are starting to bloom,
0: when the tulips are coming up, when the grass turns green, uh, when I hear the birds, oh my golly, that's, oh, that just screams creation. It's, oh, Mm. I love it.
1: Mm. What's one thing in your life that might seem ordinary to other people, but is sacred for you?
0: When cardinals appear at my bird feeder, those are my, the cardinals are my grandparents, when I see a cardinal, it's, it's grandma. It's grandma and grandpa. And I, and I always, when I say them, I say, hi, grandma. <laughs> yep, it is, it is absolutely sacred.
1: Mm. What are you deeply grateful for right now? My family, my children
0: and their spouses, and what good people they are. Grandchildren and my husband, to top it. I mean, that's, that's at the top of the list. And, and my com- community at Holy Family that we're able to pray, that they show me who God is every single day. They show mm-hmm. me goodness. They show me kindness. You know, what, what that looks like in action. It's not just a, they're not just words. They're It's just God in action.
1: Hmm. So because I am a voracious reader, I always ask my guests, Tell me a book that you would recommend to the audience. West with Giraffes. It's about,
0: this is a true story, giraffes, San Diego Zoo commissioned someone to get giraffes from Africa and the giraffes landed in New York and a man put him, them in kind of like a pickup truck. Well, I guess it was more like a, I'm gonna say a boxcar. Anyway, took the, took the giraffes from New York all the way to San Diego. And this was during the depression, during the dust bowl, during Jim Crow and sundown laws, and it talks about how people in all of this misery they would still come out and look at these giraffes as they went by and and what the giraffes meant to the people. It's just a wonderful book. Wow. <laughs> it's just a wonderful book. I just can't recommend it enough. I can't tell you the author because I'm doing good to remember the name of the book. Yeah. No, West, I'll look it up. West we'll with giraffes. A
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, That's Excellent awesome. Excellent book. Yes. I do love giraffes. So oh, um, you're going to love this. We'll have to pick that one up. Well, that's it. So thank you so much. Oh, um, thank you, Kelly. Yeah. Is thank there, you, thank um, you for what
0: you're doing, getting the word out to people. Thank you for this.
1: Mm-hmm. My
0: goodness. See, you answered
1: that call in your heart to, to touch other people through this. This is cool. Mm-hmm. Well, and this has just been such it's been a blessing for me to selfishly engage in all these wonderful conversations uh. with wonderful people who all have such interesting ways that they view spirituality mm. and faith and religion and how it intersects with with their lives and makes them who they are. So certainly it was very selfish, but I i really love providing a platform for people to share and to have them open up and, and be authentic. And we don't we don't often get to talk about our faith and spirituality mm-hmm. and who we are and why we do the things that we do and how we've become the people that we are. So, yeah. See, that's an important thing that you're doing, giving mm-hmm. people permission to say,
0: I don't understand or here's how I come. That's that's an important thing that you're doing, kiddo. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you for that. Thank mm-hmm. you. Well, thank you. It's, it's a joy for me and a blessing for me. Yeah, so thank you. You're welcome. And blessings to you,
0: Kelly. Blessings on your whole ministry. Thanks a million for this. (laughs) Take care.
1: Thank you for listening to Everything is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation. Or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, Renew and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.